Okay, so a good, a good number of you have seen Groundhog Day. If you haven't, do yourself a favor. Go watch the movie. Parents, be good parents and show your kids Groundhog Day when it's appropriate. It's appropriate. Uh, you know, it's a movie about uh, one of my greatest fears, which is not waking up at 6 a.m. to Sunny and Cher. Um, it's the fear of living a life for nothing. You know, as you watch this movie, uh, Bill Murray's character, who was reliving the same day over and over and over, he finds that for, for most of that time, he's living life for nothing. And it's not until he begins to look uh, and find what he can live his life for that the story actually begins to change. In fact, 33 years is how long a lot of people think uh, he was living that same day over and over. They said he was probably doing it for about 33 years or more, uh, which is a long time to be living for nothing. Well, do you know what you're living for? Do you know your purpose? And we've all either struggled with this question or we will struggle with this question, or you know somebody that struggled with the question, what are you living for? You know, so that's why we have the term midlife crisis. And we've also, uh, we have a couple of new terms over the past few years, quarter life crisis, and we also have later life crisis. Uh, you can look them up, they're real. These are all uh, terms for that, that struggle of trying to find what you're living for. And the reality is, all of us, we often forget God's purpose for our lives. We forget what we're supposed to be living for. Or maybe some of us never even knew it in the first place. But the good news is, what you do does matter. And God does have a purpose for your life. And this morning, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 17 to remember that. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the story, uh, and that's going to be projected on the screen. But it's also uh, page number 305 in your pew Bible Uh, And we'll be starting at uh, verse 8. But before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please be with us. Uh, Would you work in our hearts by your Spirit? Change us. Help us to look more like your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me give you a little backstory. So at this point in the story, Saul has been uh, anointed king. He he was inaugurated, and uh, he was living as Israel's king for some time. But after a life of just flagrant disobedience to God and, and open rebellion in a couple, of, a couple of places to what God had specifically told him to do, God told Saul he was going to be removed as king and that God was going to anoint another king. So Samuel goes, and unbeknownst to Saul, Samuel goes and anoints the young little shepherd that even his own family didn't think about, David, and anoints him as king. But David hasn't been king yet. Well, God's presence... God had removed his present from Saul, and Saul started having these fits of madness. Word gets out, the Philistines, their enemies and neighbors hear about it, and they decide, great time to attack, great time to get some more land and to take over that, that prime real estate. And so they come, and the armies set up across a valley from each other. Each one's on the high ground, and they're at a standstill, each one waiting for the other one to give up their advantage and to come down and to attack up the hill. Well, they're on a standstill, but then out comes Goliath, and he's big. I'm sure a lot of you have heard the story before, and so you know Goliath was over somewhere around 9 to 10 feet tall. I have a friend who's 6'8", and he makes me feel tiny. So just trying to imagine Goliath. You know, I'd have to jump probably to, to reach how high he is. And Goliath comes out, and he says, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. 
If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the other Israelites were dismayed and terrified. When you hear Goliath's taunts and you hear what he's saying to the people of Israel, do you hear anything that's a little bit off? Who does he say they belong to? Who does he say they're the armies of? Saul. That's right. But who do they belong to? That's right. They're the armies of God. Now, how do the Israelites respond to what Goliath is saying? Do they correct him? Do they say, excuse me, do you know who you're talking about? What do they do? They're afraid. And they're terrified. And so for 40 days, every day, Goliath comes out. And he challenges the people using the same kinds of words. And every day, for 40 days, they're afraid. See, if we think back to the beginning of the story, after Adam and Eve rebelled against God, God made a promise. Genesis 3.15, right? God made a promise that wherever the curse was found, God was going to be at work bringing his blessing. And then a little bit on in the story, God chooses Israel to be the nation that was going to be this vessel of blessing to the nations. They were supposed to make God known through the world. And as they lived for God's glory, the world around them was supposed to change to look a little more like heaven and to give people a taste of what God wanted the earth to be like. And at this point, God had been showing Israel that nothing could stand against his plan if they would live for his plan. They had already come into a land with giants. They had seen walls that fell down with a shout. They saw bread come out of heaven, water come out of a rock. They saw an entire army defeated by a few guys with with pots that had some fire in it, and they just threw it. And the army, God took over and defeated the, the, the enemy. But it's really easy for us to be afraid when... We forget God's faithfulness in the past, isn't it? Well, the Israelites forgot what they were living for. They forgot God's power, and they were afraid. And so every day for 40 days, they stood there afraid. And so God sent a young shepherd boy named David to show them what they're living for and to get rid of that obstacle that was keeping them from it. Let's read. Early in the morning... David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So the same thing is starting to happen, but this time there's something different because David's there and he hears what Goliath has to say. And then David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Did you hear it? Did you hear the difference between what Goliath is saying and what Israel and Saul are accepting and what David is saying? He's the first person in the story so far who acknowledges that these aren't the armies of Saul. These are the armies of the living God. 
And in ancient warfare, if your army is coming against my army, it was generally understood it was really about your God versus my God. Whoever's God was stronger wins the battle. But Israel forgot that. But David didn't. And so he keeps talking to people. And eventually he ends up talking to Saul. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Well, Saul's partly correct so far. Goliath had been a warrior from his youth, raised in this tradition, fighting, and David was a young man. But he wasn't right in saying that David wasn't able. And so David begins to tell Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And so Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. So already you're starting to see an effect from David reminding the people who they are and what they're living for. So that now Saul starts to hear it and he starts to think, maybe there's a chance. Well, Saul tries to put David into his armor. And David looks at the armor and he says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. So this is one of the things that's so brilliant about this fight is that David is recognizing God's hand in his life at every point in his life. All growing up, he was a shepherd out in the field with his sling. And he knew that that's the kind of warrior God had trained him to be. And so he's not going to fight by Goliath's rules. He doesn't care what Goliath wants. He doesn't care what Goliath expects to happen. He's going to play by God's rules. This is who God made him to be. That's who he's going to be for the glory of God. Doesn't God like to do that? He doesn't like to play by the world's rules. Jesus comes and he says, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other. If someone is angry at you, pray for them, bless them. Store up your treasure in heaven, not on earth, where he'll get destroyed. Doesn't, Doesn't God like to change the way the world sees things and help us see it the way he does? Well, David goes into the fight and confronts Goliath, and I imagine everybody must have hushed and leaned in to listen to what the warrior and the shepherd were going to say. And so the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And then here it is. And the whole world will know 
that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And then you know how the story ends. David pulls out his sling and puts in a stone and whips it, and it hits Goliath in the forehead, and it sinks in, and he falls to the ground. And we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised that David won this fight. And nobody in Israel should be surprised that David won this fight because there's no such thing as an underdog when God is fighting the battle. We can talk about the way things seem. We can talk about the apparent odds, but it doesn't matter who's on the other side if God is in the battle. And what we remember about David and what we see here is that David wasn't fighting for his family. He wasn't fighting for money. He wasn't fighting for power. He told Goliath and everyone there who could hear him what he was fighting for. That the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and that all these gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. See, what was God's purpose for Israel? They were to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, to live for the glory of God so that the world through them could know God and they could get a little taste of heaven and to see what God wanted to do with this world. And when David went out and defeated Goliath, he showed these scared people and this scared king what they should all be living for. And he took out that obstacle that was keeping them from it. Well, then how does Israel respond? What do they do? It says, The men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. The first thing they did is when they saw David's victory and they saw God was with him, it gave them courage. And you can see it in what they did next because they got up and they pursued the Philistines all the way back to the borders. They didn't just push them off the hill. They pushed them all the way back to their land. They gave up their defensive position against the enemy. They came down off the hill and they recovered their sense of purpose. They saw what they were living for. It's as if they were saying, we are God's people and he fights our battles. The battle belongs to the Lord and we live for his glory. And then they lived it out by joining in the battle that all the world would know the glory of God. And you see, God calls us to do the same thing today. See, when we look at this part of the story, we're not David. It's like others have pointed out, we're not David, we're the Israelites. We're the ones who get afraid. We're the ones who forget. We're the ones who stand there looking at this thing, not knowing what to do. And so God sent another shepherd, and he sent Jesus, a better David, to come. See, David made mistakes in his life, but Jesus never did. And David fought a giant, but Jesus fought sin and he fought death. And David saved a nation, but Jesus saved the world. He not only lived every moment of his life for the glory of God, he also removed the thing that keeps us from doing the same. See, if you belong to Jesus, he has removed the sin that keeps you from a relationship with God. He's removed the sin that keeps us from being able to have a relationship with each other and with the world around us. He went to the cross and he faced the biggest Goliath that the world has ever known and he defeated it, not with a sword, not with a spear, 
but with his death by taking the penalty that should have been ours on himself. And so how should we respond? The same way as Israel. See, when we look at the cross, it gives us courage because we remember what Christ has done and that the only thing the enemy can do to us is temporary. It's only temporary. We get afraid. We get afraid of being afraid. But when we look at the cross, we remember it's only temporary. It's only temporary. But what Jesus has done for us is eternal. And then when we take courage, we can join in the battle and we can follow after our king in the battle and we can fight it every day either to live for God's glory and to push against the curse or to let the curse push back against us. One person has said that there's no neutral territory, no area of this life that is free from the struggle. Both God and Satan lay claim to all things. So in every area of our lives, we have to ask, what does it look like to live for God's glory in my job, in my retirement, In this relationship, in my school, in my home, in everything I do, what does it look like to live for the glory of God? You know, it might be something as simple as praying for a grieving widow. There's a a picture that we have. This woman was going through to get some coffee, going through the drive-thru, and the baristas there could tell that something wasn't quite right. And then they came to find out that her husband had just recently died. And so what did they do? say, ma'am, can we pray for you? And then three of them lean out the window to start praying for her in the midst of her grief. And the person behind them in line doesn't say, hurry up and get out of the way, I need my coffee. They take a picture of it and spread the news. Because look at what, look at what it looks like when we live for the glory of God. And it's not always easy, you know. David had to wait 14 years before he finally went to the throne as king. But it's like we heard earlier from Romans. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I can't help but wonder, when we get to the other side of things, do you think we're going to wish we trusted God more or less? Do you think we're going to wish we had loved Jesus more or less? Do you think we're going to wish that we cheated on an exam or failed it with integrity? That we held on to our comforts or shared them with someone else? That we gossiped a little more about someone or treated a friend or acquaintance with the respect that we hope we would get? You have a purpose. To glorify God by knowing Him and making Him known through your words and through your actions. And because of the work of Christ on the cross, we can live for his glory each day and in every single area of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for our hero, Jesus Christ, who has won the battle. Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts? Help us to look at the cross and take courage and help us to join in the battle against the enemy. Help us to join in the battle to bring you glory in every area of our lives. Amen.